0: Nobody told me when I was 30 that life after 50 was going to be the most amazing time of my life, and I would start calling it the free period, that my children are all grown and doing amazing things, and happy, I have love, I'm healthy and fit, I'm at a point where my inner sense of self is solid and sweet, and I feel myself to be part of the universe and not separate from it on the regular. 99% of my relationships are harmonious. And there's a sense that anything is possible. So where did I get the idea that somehow aging, being middle-aged, being older, would be a bad thing? That to me is a a great mystery and a great conundrum, where did that message come from is it true that you're only valuable if you're young and pretty as a woman on planet earth or might it be true that you are here to experience great joy creative power pleasure output from the day you're born until the day you leave the body so today i get the great pleasure of turning the tables on our ask an expert host of the first eight episodes Lisa Betts-Lacroix, who I've known for a long time, um, more than 10 years now. Lisa and I met when I was running a salon in San Francisco every Wednesday night. We had this fantastic gathering of thinkers and activists and technologists and spiritual people and business owners and artists in an old mansion in San Francisco, uh, Wednesday nights called Love Spring. people would buy a ticket and we would have a vegan chef prepare an amazing meal. Uh, They'd get there, they'd eat together. Breaking bread is such an important part of creating community. Then we'd have a circle to enter, get still, do a little meditation, get quiet. And then there'd be a speaker, 20 minutes, 30 minutes. And the speaker would give a topic, an interactive topic to the audience so that they would turn to each other in pairs or triads and do exercises to kind of experience and explore that topic in their own lives. Uh, and Lisa uh, and her husband at the time, Joe, did an amazing session on a quantum quantified self, like how you measure progress in your own life on qualitative measures, anything that you want to improve. And I could remember being so taken by both of them and the way that they were approaching things in their life. Um, and then, oh, at the end of that, then we would break, we'd have live music, and then everyone would go home. It became sort of a a church in the city without a church or a dogma, just more a place to connect and feel fed and and blessed by other people who are also just hanging out. And And sometimes for many of you who know what it's like to be a newcomer or be in a city or be in a busy career, many people said that those Wednesday night gatherings really were their lifeline. So it was a very special time. Then we lost the lease on the place and other things happened, but it's a very sacred memory. So Lisa is my guest today. Um, In addition to the Artful Aging work that she's doing, she is also an expert in homeschooling. Um, She runs a homeschooling network of more than 400 families and will brings a lot of that uh, self-generated or autodidactic approach Uh, that you need if you're going to homeschool into this question of how do you direct the experience of becoming older in a woman's body in a culture that never bothered to tell you how amazing life after 50 was going to be. So without further ado, please welcome to the Rose Woman Pod, Lisa betz Betty. It's Lisa Betz-Lacroix. You might recognize her because she hosted a series of interview programs for us in early 2020, but now she is back as our guest because in her own right, she is an expert in artful aging. So I am so pleased to welcome to the program a dear friend and a wonderful
1: woman of the world, Lisa Betz-Lacroix. Oh, thank you so much for having me. So good to get connected. This is my favorite way to get reconnected and to explore ideas and jam together. So thanks for having me. So good to see you. You look amazing. I love your braids. Oh, thank you.
0: What's on on your neck
1: there? What is that? This is a collective heart necklace by Collective Hearts, uh, Lisa Ruff's design and part of the money for all of the necklaces that she sells uh, go to her children's home in Haiti. Her, her
0: sure. Uh, I met her. Yeah. At, you would know her. I'm sure. Yeah. At Ohm rising. She had a table there. She was giving, or like selling them and giving them away. She's so
1: lovely. Yeah. And I she did
0: know where the money went children's home in Haiti.
1: That's one of the things probably says it goes to, but her commitment is to creating more visible forms of love in the world.
0: Oh, wait a minute. Yeah. I'm going to write that down.
1: <laughs> <laughs> you just, She just came out with a Black Lives Matter necklace, which is smaller and it has little stones in it. And yeah, her her stuff is lovely.
0: Wonderful. So aging, our favorite, unfavorite topic. (laughs) I made a commitment to myself to perfect health and pleasure for my whole life long. And it's... uh, Different for me, I think, than my grandmother's. You know, my 50, I'm 54. My 54 is a lot different than my grandma's 54. What have you seen out there in the world in the shift in how people think about aging?
1: I think that how we think about aging is being very influenced by the shifts in medical science that we're intimately connected with in our circles, right? People, aging biologists and entrepreneurs and... Uh, scientists are doing their best to end aging and whether it, and to end de- death you know some people are like we're gonna we're gonna change it so that we never have to die whether that happens or not whether that should happen or not I think is arguable I mean I have different feelings about how we perceive death I think there's something to integrating that as part of life but the result is that some of the advances in medical science mean that we are living longer lives and so we have a much extended midlife. And I know you've been thinking about this for a long time because I remember hearing you speak about this, oh, many years ago when we were both uh, speaking at a similar event. I can't remember what it was.
0: Yes, you're right. I had learned about, David Ewing Duncan was writing a book on longevity and he was going around the world asking people, if you could live to be 120, would you? And the answers were quite varied. Some were like, yeah, I want to like, live as long as possible and others were qualified by the quality of life they would have and others were like no death is a part of life I return to the arms of the great unknown and who knows what comes after that it's so so but I do like what you're saying that the medical science behind it like I know we had some friends doing telomere research etc the medical science behind it has some side effects and also David was also the one um, who was saying, you don't get like 30 extra years at the end of your life. You get them spread out. You get them in early life and midlife, etc." Um, yes. So, So the expectation is that you're going to live longer and have more activity
1: throughout. Yes. And I think what his research revealed was that many people said they didn't want to be to live to be 100 because they saw living longer as being spending more time in the decline period that we used to associate to aging but because that's not in fact what medical science is giving us it's giving us a longer healthier midlife and in some cases the decline at the end of life is actually shorter uh, than our midlife period is longer so what i say is that we need to rethink what we see as Uh, as old that many people think of, you know, used to be 30, right? 30 used to be the, the, the end of useful living. And, you know, and then I think there's been a period of time where um, millennials now think that 40, maybe 50 is old. But what I think is that we have this new period of time from 50 to maybe 75 or 80 that generally can be a lot healthier and a lot more vibrant but we haven't necessarily shifted our thinking or we're in the process of shifting our thinking people like you and me and the people that we know who are making the commitment to living vibrant lives and being active and you know changing the story and changing the narrative on aging are shifting shifting those beliefs
0: yeah i was visiting um Couple that you know, the, the Stone family, and he's 65, and he's learning how to windsurf hydrofoil, and she just started uh, her. She's doing a big real estate business, and so I'm so totally loving seeing them in their power and their wisdom. I would say, like, I don't want them to stay perpetually 30 or 40. I want them to be fully, and and all of us to be fully in our mature expression of peace, power, and health. You know, so so that's true the story is part of it i think i have a little concern that there's a, p- a part in a woman's life where you sort of battle and grasp really intensely um to use all of those tools to stay in in youthfulness as because it's valued by the culture and that in itself has a sort of denial of reality and grasping and lack of acceptance similar to death and um So what do you think about
1: that? (laughs) I think that's a really interesting topic, and I don't think it's binary. I think that's part of the retelling of the story is that we don't have, we, it used to be this idea of maiden mother crone, right? And that once you get past your childbearing, bearing ages, which so many of the women in our generation now are coming up to that place or are done. And that once you're there, okay, now suddenly you're the wise old woman. And I believe that there is some power to accepting and to grappling with what it means to go through the process of letting go of our youthful embodiments in this incarnation. And that there's something to coming out the other side of that. But I don't think we need to go there as quickly as the old structures have us be there. I think there's a, p- a piece in between. And I think that there's absolutely nothing wrong with embracing and optimizing for the richness that we are as, let's say, just women right now in this stage of life. I think that we can create a new idea. I have a, an article that I'm uh, working on turning into a book called The Crone Needs New Clothes. Mm-hmm. Which is that once we get to that stage, we don't necessarily have to only live into this past image where we accept our wisdom, but we no longer consider our bodies, our beauty, our pleasure, our sexuality as relevance. I think that we can we can create new stories around that. And the reality is that we age. And so two of the four tenets in my artful aging premise are optimization. And gracious acceptance. And I think we do a dance as we age between optimizing what we have access to mentally, spiritually, physically, emotionally, and acceptance of the grief, the loss, the changes that are going to occur no matter how well we optimize.
0: Mm. Tell, tell us more about the artful aging model.
1: So my model is four pillars, and they are not linear. It's a dance between all of them. And the four pieces are optimization, reinvention, rebranding, and gracious acceptance. And all of the elements and practices that I believe help us artfully age fit into one, sometimes even more of those pillars. But the idea is that part of Part of artfully aging means being in a reinvention stage all the time. That means embracing our nature as what I'm calling perennials, like mm. a, a, an experience of life that keeps recreating itself, that one stage dies, but then it happens again. And it's a constant spiraling up to reinventing and and reimagining and rebirthing who we are constantly through our lives. Like, And I would argue that that's the true nature of women, right? We've been doing that since we are children, since we... Yeah. You know, since our our bodies change so much more often than men, that's our nature of our emotional life as women, and so this is our true nature. And the more we can live into constant reinvention, which includes things like bi-directional learning, cross cross generations, um, what I call, uh, you know, cross pollination about across ages. So I want to learn from young people. I want to follow more. Uh, experienced and older people. I want to have richness of learning. I want to be constantly renewing and reinventing, trying new things. You know, you know, my dance journey, starting dance at 49. That's an example of that. So reinvention means constantly be being living in the new and the reinvention of life. That is our natural state. And then rebranding is that as we're doing that practice and living a life like that, we're talking about it because So much of our experience as women in the patriarchal history that we have is that we silence our voices, we hold back, we don't show up fully necessarily, and part of rebranding means supporting women, amplifying the voices of women constantly, and retelling the story so that we can rewrite the narrative as we're reinventing, and all the ways that that is necessary where we link arms together, we support each other's journeys, we celebrate each other, we... You know, do what you're doing so beautifully in so many ways with the company and with these series and with these conversations that you've always held. You know, you know this piece because you've done it forever since I've known you.
0: It is so self-interested to me. Like I love learning, like you said, and I love people all all walks of life and to hear their stories and what motivates them because it breaks down bridges and they all have so much wisdom. It's the most pleasurable thing I get to do interviewing people and and hearing what they're about, I love this stuff. Um, well, you mentioned your dance journey. I, I mean, let's just let's just take a very clear takeaway from everything we've learned about being happy, keeping brain function is doing things that are new, continually learning. So that that pillar, that component of the pillar, is really interesting. Will you tell people about your dance? Because not everyone's going to know this story,
1: which is beautiful. Sure. Yeah, I I think I would just bridge what you just said to the story with that idea of neuroplasticity and yes. the idea that we, we when we're regenerating and challenging our brain different ways, we're benefiting from the reality of neuroplasticity of the brain that can regenerate. And that's part of staying in the optimized section that I'd say, like keeping our brains young, right? And dance has been shown to be one of the best activities for learning and and keeping the brain active and healthy because of the combination of physical movements, uh, social interaction uh, difference change of direction there's a bunch of there's a bunch of science around that. My personal journey is that when I was about forty nine my kids were getting to that stage of becoming ready to launch, you know starting to get ready to send them into the world and I happened to walk by a dance studio and I saw some people kids actually it turned out they were teenagers doing really high level latin dance and i thought whatever they're doing i need to do and i i just was it was kind of like have you seen that movie um shall we dance
0: no i haven't there's
1: two there's two versions of it one is uh, with richard Gere and jennifer lopez and one's a japanese version and the man is coming home on this subway train from his boring job and he looks down and he looks through the window of a uh, ballroom dance studio and he sees in the American version Jennifer Lopez dancing a tango and he's just like enraptured oh. <laughs> and and that's and he becomes obsessed with ballroom dance as a break from his regular life as an accountant and it was kind of like that for me and I you know part of my story I, I like to tell is that I walked into this dance studio and I said tell me about all your classes and I bought a card of 10 lessons and I didn't do it I didn't use it it sat until it almost expired because it was this sexy latin dance most of the kids start when they're kids or teenagers and i was 49 i was like what are you thinking but anyway i finally got myself to go in and take classes and i just fell in love with it and i started competing and i i you know i was an amateur pro-am dancer. Dance, I competed with my, my pro partner. But when I was about 51 or about three or four years later, I'd done many, many competitions and was completely in love with it. And I won a world title in my age category, which is, you know, in and of itself, does it really mean anything? Not really. It's symbolic though, right? It's symbolic of the idea that it's never too late to start something new, right. to become committed to it and passionate about it and have you know, some meaning. So it also, like, I feel like knowing you across that, like
0: it did something to like light a fire inside of you. It's changed your body. It changed the way you held yourself. I mean, you were already a very, you know, presenter, performer, you knew what you were doing, but um, it was really remarkable to also see the plasticity of our embodiment uh, by watching you learn dance
1: you know what, that is such, I'm really actually glad you raised that because we have known each other through that whole, you did know me through that whole period. And where I came from, where I came from right before that was this experience that many of us women have, which is where we spend a decade or maybe two decades where everyone else comes before us. Right. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And I was homeschooling my kids. I was The founder of a very large homeschooling organization in the Bay Area with 350 to 450 families at any given time, and supporting a husband's career and, you know, doing all the things for everyone else. And I really put myself last. I had come, before I had kids, I was a film and television actor, and then I spent 18 years, or 14 years, to the point I started dancing, really putting everybody before me, where I didn't actually even feel like I mattered. I was heavier than my normal weight i never didn't take care of my, take care of my skin i never would have like embodied myself or dressed up or i told i have a little video recently where i realized i had 8 years where i didn't wear earrings because i was so busy supporting the lives of other people. Mm -hmm. And so I think that that is the key and generalizable piece of me discovering dance. It doesn't matter if it's dance, right? But it's what is there that lights you up, that puts you back in the center of your life. And so many of us women have to go through a period of time and be reminded. And honestly, I never thought I was going to get back to myself when I was a mother. I never knew it. And I thought that's it. Now it's all, you know, so... That was definitely an important.
0: I'm, and I love the story and the, and the, the living, the artful aging component, you know, you model it so well. Yeah. We talk about the period after the children are gone as not the menopause or the emptiness that there are no emptiness in nature, you know, no birds stay behind after their little baby birds leave. Um, but that, and that's like such a ridiculous idea, but we call it the free period that, you know, after that, then it's like, all right, so what's bubbling up in me? What's emerging? What do I want to learn
1: or do? Uh, so did I interrupt you going through the four pillars? Should we get back to no, Well, I told, I told two, two before four. and they're yeah. not, they're not linear, but they base it's basically a dance between reinvention, rebranding, optimization, and gracious acceptance. Okay. So I want to ask you a question about the rebranding. Branding yeah. is such a you
0: know, eh, it's got such a... I grappled with using it. that word. I, I grappled. But I want to understand it more. You said it was about telling the story out loud, like making sure that it's communicated, uh, that women are standing up in their in their power and in their grace and their aging and doing all the things and not silencing themselves. Is that effectively it or are there other components
1: to the rebranding piece? I I think that is essentially the piece, but there are many layers to that, in my opinion, right? So... Part of that has to do with knowing what our stories are, speaking. Hmm. First of all, having a, an appreciation for the fact that we have these rich histories and so many women that I know, and I know a lot of unbelievable, amazing women who did take a pause on their own personal careers or their own lives to raise their homeschool kids. I know a lot of homeschoolers because I had this group with 350, 400 families in it, and and so many women are in that situation, and they forget, because of the culture we live in, all of the value because we live in a culture that doesn't celebrate our knowledge and our experience. And so some of the, re- the rebranding is, is reclaiming and remembering all mm-hmm. the value that we have from all the components of our life, you know? And I love, like for example, when I interviewed you for my show, you were my very first show, and we got to talk about all these pieces, And all the places, you're such a beautiful example of mothering and community service and many businesses and, you know, like yogi and singer and artist and writer and, you know, all that. And yeah, you can, that okay, look what you just did. This is exactly (laughs) what I mean. This is exactly what I mean. It's like, Okay? okay.
0: Somebody said, how do you do all those things in your life? And I just said, literally, you're going to hate this because of the topic of the day. I just said, I'm old. You don't have to do them all at once. They come sequentially. And and like that literally you build a body of work or a body of play, as one might say, over a
1: lifetime. But I want to go back to that mom thing. But hold on a second. But don't. But yeah. I want to just point out what you just said. I, the way you, Your reaction was exactly so important, right? Because you kind of like dismissed it. And I know it's partly because, you know, whatever. It doesn't matter, but it's so ubiquitous in our culture that we dismiss the things that we've done and the importance and the value because we live in a culture that hasn't always celebrated us. That's why the rebranding is so important. That's why it's so important for women to gather together, to link arms and to say, wow, look at all that you've done to celebrate each other, to to center each other, to create space for each other, to amplify each other's voices, because our culture generally typically hasn't done that. And that's the first step in rebranding is claiming what we bring. And then, of course, there's the speaking and the, you know all that stuff. But there's so those like are the layers. To just
0: acknowledge what you just said, and um, what is it like to receive praise and to receive support and just verbal affirmation and, and how it like gets a little stuck right here, you know, like it doesn't drop down into my body. And as I feel it, like hell yeah, it's been an interesting life. <laughs> it feels it feels much better, and uh, I will work on that actually. Yeah. Uh, so The mom thing. When I was raising my children, um, I remember thinking that the entire public school system is subsidized by mothers who are not going to the office. They're there all day long. They're there. I I don't even know. Like the The whole economy is subsidized by women who are raising children. And that it got so little respect was such a weird thing to me. It was always so... I mean, this is the next generation of our whole planet. It's totally the best and most... What, whether it's a father or a mother staying home and making sure that your children are raised confident and clear and autodidactic. And, you know, like that's so valuable. So that could use, if you're talking about, rethink reclaiming the wisdom and the knowledge and the value and importance of that particular role as part of this, I'm all with you a hundred percent.
1: Definitely. I mean, You just hit on a really important piece, which is so far in our culture, women have done the bulk of the unpaid work. And that is very deeply systemic. And it's not a simple solution to come back out of it. The reason that that is true is because of all the historical and financial components where women make 70 cents on the dollar. So when you're trying to decide who's going to stay home and take care of the kids, well, it seems like the obvious choice. And then that creates an increase in the disparity between women and men, and all that is fine if we could figure out a way to actually honor, reward, acknowledge, compensate that un- currently unpaid work. But I think they figured that out now. in Sweden. What's that? I think they figured all that out in Sweden. We should, just, we
0: should just, you know what, basically the whole world should bow down and copy the Scandinavian countries and do what they do and we'd all be fine. Um... Says my inner socialist. I, I hear you. I'm the socialist CEO. Did I tell you that somebody called me that?
1: the socialist I got, CEO? I, I think I got, you
0: should claim I got, that. I got called out on social media by someone who is like the socialist CEO who sells the $90 pussy cream. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh. I have no contradiction in that because what I do in my business and what I do with the proceeds from my business to build a sustainable society, to live inside of a community that has kids that are educated, roads that work, I have no problem. I don't want to like, I don't want to grow up in a or, you know, I don't want a world in the future where there's a whole bunch of people who have nothing and a few people who have everything. That's, that is not a world that I like. This is this is pussy economy. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I was thinking about the difference between a woman leading a business like this. Like, you know, I could never have gotten venture money for this kind of a business, but it's like, you know, going really, really well. So, Um, But it also means without any uh, people to respond to, to answer to, that I can give away money for domestic violence and and sexual violence victims. I can give away money for maternal health. I can pay my people super well. If somebody needs a mental health break, I'm like, do it, come back healthier. And there's a sense of that, like, the long arc of caring and nurturing and being in a web and not being accountable to traditional capitalist structure that is joyful. If I don't need to take it all home because I know who I am, I don't need to take home a pile of money. I just can like make things and it can be creative joy. So uh, yeah, I think that's
1: very I'm seeing cool this. Adventure. I'm seeing this model evolving. <laughs> I'm seeing this model evolving everywhere in all How my circles. Are.
0: Yes. yes, I am.
1: I am. I'm seeing it. I'm seeing it evolve over and over again. Like I say, some people I know are calling it "pussy economy," which is we make money in order not for our own ego gratification as women, but because we want to serve our own pleasure and the benefit of others. Thank and you. that is the true nature of women's orientation in business, which is why we. Can, I love, What did you call it again? Socialist CEO. Yeah, I'm you getting- know, economy social. Like I believe that this is the way we're going to see women recreating business in this next in this next stage of evolution and it doesn't mean not making money it means making a lot of money because we need to we want to pass it on to support That's other right. businesses That's to right. support the causes that need it we're oriented towards relation like yeah. inter-
0: investing, uh, this, investing. My, my teacher calls that you don't you never do not receive for the self alone exactly sign that you've woken up that you've hit that crone stage with the real little crown of wisdom, you know, or whatever the masculine equivalent
1: is. I see it in younger women now too, though. I see younger women taking on this idea. So I don't know if you know, do you know Barbara Hewson, Stanley? She used to be oh. Barbara Stanley. She wrote a book called Sacred Success. And I'm currently operating under the premise of her idea of sacred success, which, mean, which means that I am all about creating wealth for my own pleasure and the benefit of others. And she calls safety, sacred success when you do your life's purpose for your own bliss and when you do your life's purpose for your own bliss and for the the evolution of other people something like that i I haven't got it quite right but this is exactly her idea is that as relational beings women are highly motivated not by power but by the ability to contribute to the collective so yeah i love i think it's happening
0: so when you Kyle, I'm going to go aside. Um, You know Kyle, my son. Yeah. He just wrote a piece for our Father's Day blog. Um, What I learned in two years of working for a woman's intimate wellness company. And it was interesting. Uh, Normalizing women's anatomy was one of them. And the second point was women over 50 are still down. (laughs) (laughs) He's like, I never knew. I thought that women over, you know, women past their reproductive prime didn't really want to have sex. Only older men wanted to have sex. And I was like, how did you, where did you get that idea? He goes, I guarantee you, a lot of people think that. A lot of men think that. A lot of younger women think that. And that story about your sensuality, your pleasure, your embodiment as a woman, um, what have you learned about that in your journeys? having conversations on age. Well, I've learned that not
1: all younger men think that. I there's a <laughs> lot of there's a lot of younger men that are interested in older women. I I you know, I don't know how I personally feel about that cuz it's that challenges my notions a little bit but I you know, cuz I'm single and uh you know, out in the world and I know that, and I know that that's that is that's not all younger men men feel that way for sure. Uh what have I learned about that otherwise? Uh, I you know, I think that our bodies change. You know, and that's something that takes some. Um, this is part of the gracious, gracious, gracious acceptance. Part of being optimized is actually accepting the new, right? Not always trying. And you referenced this earlier, that there's something about trying to stay in a stage that has been in the past that has a little bit of ossification to it. Yeah. Right. That has to do with um, that has to do with um, you know holding on to something. And whenever we hold on to something, we freeze ourselves up. I have recently gotten much more involved in the fem- the Feminine and Masculine Polarity work, which I'm just at the beginning of, but it's so beautiful. And, you know, le- learning David Data's work and John Wineland is the teacher that I've been following recently. And there's just such beauty and possibility in sinking into the feminine in polarizing uh sexual and sensual polarization with the masculine you know in and of ourselves so i am new in in that but i'm so so excited by that as as an opportunity to what you're speaking to is that there's a whole other range of embodiment that's open to us and um as we get older and it but it does change you know so it's partly like how to be with the current presence I don't know if I answered your question, but I'm just thinking out loud. I I like where you went. I like
0: your first (laughs) response, which I'm going to ask you juicy stories offline later. (laughs) Um, mm -hmm. I find this period to be very sensual and and less sexual, although I'm still having a lot of sex. It's not that. It's more like I really am noticing everything, like Mm. touch and breath and texture, and like appreciating, like I find everything so poignantly beautiful. Mm. And, and that, you know, I was rushing around so much that my sensual and sexual life seems to be more spacious, just like the rest of my life after childbirth, which, or child rearing, which means, you know, I can bring that to my partner. And like, we took one of these COVID days, we just took one long day where all we did was we had, we didn't have intercourse, we just did Oil massage from head to toe, really light and long strokes. And I was like, "Have I ever done that? You know, I've given massages, but or we've done it as foreplay, but just as a sense, we're just going to have sensual play. Um, mm-hmm. I look forward to that at sixty, and eighty, and ninety. We'll yeah. see
1: if the if the world holds. Um, all right. So, what else? What should we talk about in this aging thing? What? What? Well, hold on one sec. Let me just say to that. I think what you just said about the that sensuality piece is very in line with what I was mentioning about not off, not staying stuck in an old pattern, right. And deepening into, and I don't, don't get me wrong. I feel like I'm at the very beginning of exploring this, this aspect of sensuality and in my current like stage of life at the very beginning of it. But I think you just hit on something really important, which is that when we sink into what's true through our bodies and through pleasure, we can go down a whole new journey in like a whole new place and find things we haven't found yet. And I think there's something about, like I kind of figure there's a metaphor in that and based on like the time that we're in right now, like everything is slowed down. So we have to sink more into like our reality. And I think that's, um, you know, I kind of see that in the world right now. I feel like that's, that's what we're all doing. We're all hanging out. But I also feel like there is a resurgence of the feminine, right? And the feminine is pleasure, right? The feminine is time. The feminine is emotions. The feminine is being in the moment. And I feel like that's really happening in our world right now. Now, granted, maybe that's just like my life, but I don't think so. I don't think it's just me seeing what I'm thinking about reflected back to me. I actually think there is a rising and a resurgence of the deep feminine in our our culture, in our world right now.
0: I've been trying to replace feminine and masculine with female and male. I mean, with um yin and yang, mm-hmm. gonna, instead of because the Im, because it's so your, it's so tied to your physical form, your gender, yeah. sexuality, um, and you're half your mother and half your father. You're half male and female, and you have all the yin and yang in you, as mm-hmm. a, a man or a woman. And so, just like I think we should change light, light and shed light and shadow because it's too correlated to white and black and there's all kinds of subconscious messages around that to something more like clarity and cloudiness or something to communicate that like light inspiration that comes with, with any kind of spiritual practice or whatever. Anyway, but this idea that the yin is being reclaimed and is, uh, is our birthright and is that we've been in an aberration period where there isn't enough spaciousness, I think you're right. It's happening to everybody. Yeah. And the people who've had a taste of it don't want to go back. That's it. Yeah. That's
1: it. We've been in so much the masculine for so much of our lives. And we've been, and again, I, 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 I grew up thinking of yin and yang because I'm mixed race. So I associated that to, that was a term that I used. I like masculine and feminine. And I totally understand why you might not want to use those words. But I like masculine and feminine because not as a male, not as a, like very distinct from male and female. Right that men have the masculine in them, the masculine energetic and the feminine energetic and women have. So, so I get it. And I don't know why. And I, I still like that. Those the terminology because it reflects some aspect of the, I mean, I'm kind of looking at all the structures right now because we're seeing all of the structures that have existed in, in terms of them breaking up because of black lives matter because of the intersectionality in terms of between like me too movements, all of the, all of those structures that I'm going to call are, call systemic, not related to men or women, but that are patriarchal structures that I think it's important to recognize that. Well, I guess it doesn't, you could use Yang actually, but we've been in such a Yang world, most yes. of us men and women that I think it's, it it is an opportunity for us to say, Oh, hold on a second. I love what you said. And I think it's so true. People are like, Ooh, this feels good. I don't think I want to go back. It'll be really interesting to see what happens next and how well we integrate.
0: I would be really interesting to hear um, how many of our customers and listeners have felt that they, as women have lived primarily Yang lives. And, and, and this to me is maybe why the attraction of like belly dancing and, and massage and Tantra and all this stuff is like enjoying such a resurgence, home cooking, uh, decorating, nurturing is because it's been so absent. And it used to be this only stereotype. It was the stereotype. It's like what you could have was only that. And so maybe we went too far the other direction. I don't, I don't.
1: Yeah. But you mean in the direction of the, of the yang or. Yeah.
0: yeah you know, maybe, maybe. Oh the, my gosh. Like Just for the women, it's, it's not that, yeah, I'd
1: be interested. I one hundred percent think we went too much in that in that direction even, I mean
0: but, but even in a woman's life in a woman's body, yes. you know, yeah i I still really yeah. like pink things and soft things, and you know, I mean we've I, had I, no, I, no I we've I had, had curves, you
1: know, so yeah, I mean, we've had no choice but to enter it, just like so many people that are not white identified have had to integrate into the white structures. In order to be safer to survive, in many ways, women have had to suppress their feminine in order to, to function in the world. And I, 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 I personally feel that I'm at the very beginning of re exploring and reclaiming and, and re, you know, re relating to that.
0: Totally tied to um, the artful aging piece. Because you're, you're addressing one small piece of the patriarchy which transactionally, like put women in a transactional spot valued for their reproduction and their sex. And so that's also one of the reasons that aging women became invisible. You know, so, the, so even in pulling out the thread of artful aging for women and unwinding that narrative and providing some guideposts and some frameworks for people to think about it, you're unwinding one corner of the male dominant story. Like, can you feel the fullness of your worth and value uh, no matter what's happening with your telomeres?
1: I I hope so. (laughs) Again, this is the gracious acceptance part of it, which is that in in, in the face of the grief and loss and changes, we have the opportunity to then go to that which transcends our telomeres, our body, our physicality, our you know, our beauty, our youth, and that, that is part of the journey that's really deep and important also. It's just that it's only one part, you know, I think we've, I think we've tended to be like in that transactional piece where we've played this role as the, the, the mothers, the, you know, used in that way and then no longer useful. Okay, now let's put you over in this category. And I think that the, the, the evolution now is that this, there's more richness to what the what that path looks like. So, are you writing a book on this? Is that what's happening here? I'm working on it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm working on it. I don't know. I have to take some tips from you on how you actually get so much done. Because I don't. I, it's sort of like I've been working on two different books. One was on education. I'm ha- I'm like three quarters through. Uh, meta learning book that's on meta learning principles that came from my thinking about education changing and the educational structures changing and now uh, this artful aging one is a little bit more on the table i'm really actually hoping to get a, a first draft by the end of the summer so working on it i will have first draft
0: by the end of the summer
1: i will have first draft by the end of the summer, the of the summer. oh here's some hoping something. stuff <laughs> i will have first draft by the end of the summer i will have first draft by the end of the summer I will have. I, this is what I've been working on with affirmations recently, like embodying them. Yeah, people say
0: yeah. that 75% of a book is written before
1: you even put your pen on the paper. I do feel that's true of this. I feel like I know this already. So. Yeah.
0: yeah. And for those who don't understand meta-learning, could you just say what that is?
1: Yeah, meta-learning is the some people say metacognition. I say meta-learning because I believe it's the thinking structures, but also the practical aspects of learning that transcend what your circumstance transcends, whether you're in school or out of school. So like this came through homeschooling and being involved in the Teal Fellowship and looking at different structures of learning. I realized that The only thing that actually matters about learning is if you have the metacognition and meta-learning skills that allow you to be an autodidact and that is more important than anything rather than more important than the structure that you're learning in and so meta-learning is everything from self-awareness to understanding your zone of proximal development which means where you learn most effectively that things are hard enough but not like not too easy but not too hard it means learning what your learning style is so that you can learn effectively. It means understanding if you have challenges. Uh, you know, it's all the pieces that are top level of being a learner, regardless of the circumstance. And there's many of them. So meta-learning is one, and then the other one is art plaging. Art aging, yeah. Which one are you going to have a draft by by the end of this? Art plaguing is the one I'm okay. focusing on. Okay.
0: Right. Yeah. Good to yeah. know. <laughs> um, so a book writing process is maybe two years. I mean, you can get it done. even if it's short. I, I mean, even the invitation. Even if it's short. Well, the invitation was shorter, but the invitation was the result of I was a little sneaky with the invitation. I wrote the invitation as blog posts. Yeah, I'm gonna do and some. I, started, I framed out the whole thing, and I knew I needed to do content for the for for the company. And I was also wanting to share all this material and I knew what I wanted to do with the book. And, and I didn't have the time to do everything, like to write a separate book altogether. And I wanted to start sharing it because who knew if I would, who knew if I would ever get it done. So I started writing and sharing week by week in rough cuts, the stuff that eventually became the book. And so there was also an interaction and a dialogue coming along with it. So I imagine that every time you have a conversation about artful aging with on a podcast you do, or when you present it, or you do a workshop with women, that you're refining the way you're going to frame the book and telling and getting more stories for the book, and just capturing them as you go and sharing them on your Insta and on your Facebook and all that stuff. And that, you know, that's rich because you, you. There's the thing about like intellectual hoarding, like I've got to hold it, I've got to keep it until it's perfect. That I think is very, a big thing with all creators that they want, maybe not you. But then I read, I I came across like in the fringe communities around Burning Man, all that stuff, people who were very famous writers who are writing as they go and making their work public so that their readers, their fans could comment on their drafts. And I was like, what? Like the performance anxiety of that, the like showing your unfinished stuff, how could how could they do it? But once I started, it was really satisfying. So you might, yeah. you might
1: do it. So that that is probably the way that I I will do it. I'm basically entering into that exact practice, and I'm encouraging other people to do that too. And it is part of the. It is part of the, again, the rebranding part. It's recognizing all the places that we stop ourselves, all the places that we make ourselves smaller, all the places that we think we're not enough or too much, and showing up with our voice, with our stories. And I actually just did a TikTok this morning about it that I'm just about to put on TikTok because I'm kind of into TikTok right now. I'm a little addicted to TikTok. Um, And I just did a thing exactly on that. All these people on TikTok... But this is metaphorical for all of the world who have stories to tell, who have experience, who have wisdom, but stop themselves because they either think they're not enough or too much. And my message is, and I had to get it down to one minute for TikTok, right, is your story's needed. It makes a difference. You're going to feel the vulnerability hangover, but do it anyway because you could change yourself or change a life. And so that's a lot of the the practice of rebranding is continuously practicing exactly that is showing up imperfectly showing up with vulnerability showing up for interaction with other people so that you're actually creating in real time and in community and recognizing that you're going to feel kind of it's going to be kind of scary but doing it anyway i would be scared to be
0: on tiktok seriously <laughs> You've got to be. Well, I think you're the only friend of mine who's doing TikTok.
1: Yeah, just wait for a year. Everyone's going to be on it.
0: Yeah. All right. Um, <laughs> the,
1: the things that I've seen off of there
0: are like fun and silly and like dancey and you know just yeah. a little.
1: Yeah. I'm, I, it's in the process of transformation right now. And actually, I I am partly on TikTok because of what I said earlier that reinvention piece of cross pollinating with other other generations. And I believe that youth leads us. And so if we see that that's where young people are and where they're showing up, there's something in it for us to learn. And what I've discovered from being on it is like anything else, it's the format, it's a structure, it's a platform. And we can make it be whatever we want, but it has so much creativity available to it. And it has the challenge of, can you put this into 15 seconds up to a minute? And so that's a great exercise for me. How, how can I get my information and my, my ideas down to a very, very small, concise point? Because I can go on and on. Um, It's like a visual Twitter, Twitter, in a way. It's a visual Twitter, and also it's video. And, you know, for me, it's a really great platform for me because I like speaking, and because I do dances, because, you know, I basically use my model of speaking, which is one of my rebranding things, which is the lily pad model, which is what are your lily pads that you jump between whenever you're showing up publicly in the world? And one of mine, like on my three, my three lily pads for TikTok are... our inspiration, which is, you know, positivity. You can do it. It's possible. Just take a risk. Come on. We're together. And I use my dances. So I do the, I do the savage dance. I do all the TikTok dances. Right. And then educational, which is as things like speaking skills. So sharing ways to show up with our language that are based on my background as an actor. And then, um, so it's, and then like fun, having fun, you know, so I try to jump between these lily pads of information, artful aging, speaking skills, dance, fun, and silliness and positivity, and just like jump around on those, you know, so anyway, I think TikTok's going to be a really interesting thing, and I, and I'm going to be there when the rest of our generation finds out (laughs) about it.
0: (laughs) Speaking of speaking skills, I saw you had something up earlier on lose the filler words. I was it's, it's very helpful. I'm very self-conscious now about all the ums, but I'm going to share of course about it. I really, I think it's beautiful. No, I, I, it's, a, it's a skill development thing that the, I, where to look on the camera when you're doing a zoom, how to light it, what, you know, all like not to wiggle your head constantly. And just, just saying like for a visual medium, if you haven't been brought up in that, then it is like everything else, you know, it is a skill if you're going to be on zoom calls every day with your office, it's still a skill how, where, you know, how, how to be present over a long distance through technology. So we're at an hour, which is predictable. <laughs> is there anything else you'd like to add? Did I miss anything?
1: Oh my gosh. Well, we can always go on and on. I just love. I just always love talking with you and connecting with you. I feel like we have, such synergistic and interwoven paths through this life. So I'm always so happy to um, to connect with you and there's always more to say. So just, that's a nice place to pause.
0: If people would like to get in touch with you, where should they find you?
1: I am on Facebook with my podcast, which is Superpower You. They can search for that. I'm on Instagram at Lisa BL. My website is lisabl.com. And I'm on TikTok at Lisa underscore LaCroix. <laughs> La <laughs> Lisa LaCroix. Lisa LaCroix, yeah. <laughs>
0: is that what you're going by now?
1: I'm, I'm using both. I mean, Lisa LaCroix is my pre-married name. Right. And I, but I'm kind of attached to Bets LaCroix. My kids are Bets LaCroix. And my, you know, 20 years of my life was Bets LaCroix. So I'm kind of playing with both right now.
0: All right. Well, let me know. Interested to where that evolves too. I've been trying to go for a, uh, no last name you know, de- denounce the patriarchy, but I haven't been able to get there yet.
1: I know. your you <laughs> government doesn't like that. Yeah. And <laughs> it's hard when there's a lot, it's hard when you have a name like Lisa, I'll tell you that. <laughs> hey, you have to be, you could be LaCroix. LaCroix? LaCroix. I,
0: have,
1: LaCroix, I like LaCroix actually. <laughs> Thank yeah. you so much
0: for spending time today. Uh, we you. will be sure to get the Artful Aging uh, book out when it's ready at the end of the Year because you have the manuscript by the end of the summer, no refining, editing, covering it. Okay, maybe Q1. i want to hear all about it when it comes out.
1: Thank you. And
0: lots of love.
1: Take care of yourself. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you so much for joining me on the Rose Woman Pod. I'm Christine Marie Mason, your host. The pod is brought to you by Rosebud Woman, a company I started in the intimate skincare space. You can find our amazing products at rosewoman.com. Vegan, plant-based, pure, effective, all the good stuff. The guests and I imagine people out there when we do these shows and think, how can we bring one little bit of insight, one little lever to create more spaciousness or happiness out to the world? So if you like the pod, you know what to do. Please share it, rate it, review it, subscribe, all of that stuff so that we can feel your love and support and keep doing it. Have a wonderful day no matter where you're at. May the grace and joy that rests at the center of you be readily apparent. See you next time.